Hi and welcome to the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 18th of November 2015, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave and here's my co-host Jon. Hey Jon, how are you doing? Hi Dave, I'm fine. How are you doing today? Really well, really well. So, our normal podcast will cover a quick review of our last two weeks, but for the very first one, we thought it'd be a good idea to introduce ourselves by the way of explaining how we first got into Hadoop. So, Jan, how was it for you? Um, also a good question. I mean, most people who get into Hadoop have done some computer background, so, so did I. From uh, education, I'm a programmer, actually, so nothing really directly to do with uh, big data and stuff like that. But I did pass through Silicon Graphics for a, about a decade, and supercomputing and parallel computing and all that kind of stuff. And after that, I spent some time at a supercomputing center where at a certain point, the demand for a big data capable platform came from their customers or their users, if you like. And when the, the company there asked for volunteers to help with that project, I kind of thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. Let's get in there. And that's now four years ago. And since then, I've been doing Hadoop, the original Apache Hadoop, uh, moving into different distributions. And, uh, well, about a year ago, I decided, well, this system is running this. This system is now running so normally. It's all everyday work. It's not with no, no excitement anymore. So when a uh, big Hadoop distribution vendor, Hortonworks, approached me, I kind of jumped at the opportunity to get even deeper into it. How did you do it? And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, so, yeah, I, I came at it from a very different perspective, I guess. I mean, I, I initially um, started in engineering um, uh, at Rolls-Royce military aero engines in the UK. And, uh, you know, I, I basically I found out I was more interested in the, the technology than I was the actual engineering. So that was when I kind of switched into uh, more of an IT background and a lot of it was just, you know, generic open source, you know, web servers, network services of all kinds, of, all kinds really. Um, and then I sort of moved into um, more of a specialized systems integrator, one called Kinetic, um, that had a lot of uh, research and R&D background. Um, and that was all about building sort of fairly large, um, complex systems Um and I think, you know, that's when I really started to, to build some fairly sizable clusters um, and started to get my head around uh, around Linux more seriously. I moved on from there actually to, to Red Hat themselves. Um, and, you know, that really accelerated my um, my exposure into some of the details of, of what can be done and also started to expose me to some of the, the, the business cases and some of the sort of ideas of why people were building these systems. After that, I moved into uh, Canonical, the people behind Ubuntu and OpenStack. And uh, that's where I really um, switched from, you know, standard sort of Linux and and a bit of uh, JBoss um, style work into more scale out technologies like OpenStack and, and, you know, cloud in general. And, And that really got me thinking about um, once I'd moved into to cloud and scale out technologies, you know what else was out there, and Hadoop was uh, was certainly something that I was seeing people using on cloud from various ways, shapes, and forms, um, and uh, it just seemed like a natural fit, a natural sort of growth path for me to do something new and interesting and exciting, and um, 
Hadoop was it. So, uh, yeah, similar to you, I, I I received the call to action and uh, decided about a year and a half ago now that uh, Hortonworks looked like an interesting place to go and uh, been here happily ever since. Thanks for that, Dave. I think that's enough about ourselves now. So let's uh, move into the topic for this uh, podcast. And a bit of a follow-on on how we introduced ourselves. Uh, a good topic for the first show we thought was how to get into Hadoop, how our listeners can get into Hadoop, how anybody who wants to play in this very interesting marketplace out there can get started. Now, the funny thing I heard from your and my story is that we both kind of volunteered for this. When the, uh, the thing came up, we just jumped into it and went for it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways it, it does need to be a bit of a bit of a calling almost. You know, it's uh, it's such a fast-moving and, you know, relatively complex area that uh, in order to do it justice, you need to be, um, you know, committed to it. I mean, if I look at um, different organisations that, that I meet with and how they they sort of start their initial uh, forays into, into Hadoop and big data, then, you know, there's quite a number of them that have just been started up by not necessarily just purely individuals, but, you know, a, a small team of like-minded people who, you know, with maybe some some low-level backing um, from some of their management to, to start up a small project, get an idea, get a couple of data sources and, you know, get something built in order to, to demonstrate what they're, you know, what they can possibly do and how they can get the, the whole organisation more towards a data-driven uh, organization. But, you know, there's there's also just as many um, organizations where, you know, the, the CIO or CTO or even CEO just comes up with a mandate of, right, we, we need to do big data. You know, everybody's doing it and, and we need to do it too. And so, you know, you get these giant projects kind of spun up with uh, with mandate from above to, to, you know, make things happen, as it were. But, you know, often the, the process is all very similar. People start off with, you know, a couple of ideas and a couple of thoughts as to what they could do. Um, you know, hopefully they talk with people like us to uh, assist them in shaping some of their um, initial discussions and their initial projects. But, you know, it, it all does sort of start from that, that point. Yeah, but I would imagine that even if it goes as a big plan from the organization, you still need to have the volunteers the people volunteering to take up the the tasks, right? Because it's not just a one person job. You need people in a, a various uh, what do you call it um, professions. You have infrastructure in there, database administrators, DevOps. It can't just be a dogmatic plan from above, can it? No, very true. Um, and one of the other things that I think is quite interesting is is organisations that tend to be you know successful when they kick this off is they actually form these sort of uh, these teams um, that that actually you know, have members from each of the major departments. So people from security, people from storage, from infrastructure, from BI, uh, maybe data science, if they've already got some data science and, you know, all focused on these, uh, these same set of goals. So, yeah, I think it, it's definitely, it's definitely about getting people um like-minded people together to to accelerate this uh, new and interesting environment yeah that's pretty much how we started in my uh, previous employment now you do have to be careful not to get too big a group in there because you have too many people talking it's always hard to get something started 
Yeah, yeah, you don't want to don't want to get the signal to noise ratio wrong. Yeah, so I mean, you're talking security there. Is that something you need in there at the first step already, or is that something you think you could leave for later? Uh, tricky. So, in many cases, I think it does benefit having security in early on, um, especially because you're you're kind of looking at the long term for this. You're looking at, you know, hopefully these these initial projects are successful. And, you know, when they are successful, you're going to be talking about potentially a single data lake environment with, you know, a significant amount of the company's data on it. So I think involving security or making them feel part of the team early on, you know, showing that there are, showing them that there are um, security tools um, available for uh, Hadoop that, you know, make their make their lives easier, make the ability to uh, set up and apply security policies you know, make sure that things, or show them, demonstrate that things can be uh, linked into Active Directory for um, uh, for the sort of uh, authentication piece and Kerberos enabled and all these sorts of things. I think it, it's it, it, there's a benefit to involving teams like security early on because if you if you don't, the risk is always that you know you go off and you kind of come up with this great sort of proof of concept or pilot project. And then, you know, potentially it's all got to be torn down and, and scrapped at the end because you didn't, you know, take take account of certain things that you possibly should have done from a, a security or data protection point of view. Yeah, it's always a bad idea to tack on security at the end of it, right? It has to be really central to make sure it has a long life. And doing that at the start, you're able to profit from it. Absolutely. Just makes life that little bit easier. Also good, of course, that any kind of person in, a, in an IT environment can uh, get his hands dirty in this. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely plenty of opportunity, depending, you know, regardless almost of what your what your background is. So, so for the person itself, how could a person prepare itself? I mean, I know when I look at myself, I kind of went on the internet and read a lot of stuff, and uh, there were some courses available on EDX and stuff to get into specific subjects. I mean, I think that's a good way of getting there. But I also see uh, here locally the university starting to offer specific big data courses. No idea what's going to contain yet because it's all for next year. But how do you see it? Should it be more the experience of the individual that uh, comes through? Or should there be some formal training in there somehow looking at the point for recruiting perhaps? Yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, I, I think it it really does it really does depend. Like the answer to a lot of good technology questions is it depends. I think it's very difficult to uh, just say that it's purely experience based if you're looking at people that are you know getting into this you know new like uh, uh, like you did four years ago or I did a year and a half ago. Um, you know we didn't really have any direct uh, directly relatable experience. So, you know, you start off, certainly I started off with running through, um, reading lots of stuff as you did, going through tutorials, um, you know, small demo environments and playing with some of the bits of technology, um, you know, just building up my familiarity almost with the different components, where they fit, what they're used for, that sort of stuff. Um, then I think, you know, the growing on from that point, you know, training, whether it's training provided by you know a hadoop distribution or you know through a, a third party like coursera or edx i think all of those are are particularly valid 
Um, even if you know you end up doing a, a Hadoop distribution um, provided training course, and whether or not you actually end up deploying that Hadoop distribution, the basics are, are pretty common between uh, the major Hadoop vendors. So there's a lot of commonality that you'll still get value from, um, and you know experience you have on on one Hadoop distribution, for the most part, will uh, will pretty much transfer across. So I think that uh, you know personally. That's certainly how I would see um, see me sort of continuing to grow my my skills and experience and my knowledge on on these sorts of things. Um, beyond that, the sort of uh, formal education, if you like, with uh, various university courses, I'm I'm a little bit more suspicious. I, as you say, it's 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 such a new, different area that you know who's who's to say what the uh, what the value of those courses are going to be, um, but. Given the given the sort of the choice between uh, you know someone with uh, a more of an academic background and and someone who with uh, you know actual implementation background that can demonstrate what they've done you know I obviously or maybe it's not obvious but I would typically go for the person that has the the more hands on real world experience. Yeah, it's a very good point you make about uh, the demo environment and having the hands on experience. Just doing courses and reading a lot of books isn't going to get you there because. It is open source. It's very good open source, but it's still stuff you have to learn by doing. Still, though, from my personal point of view, really, uh, formal education never hurts. I mean, it's definitely not enough to get you the job, perhaps, but it's not bad to have it there, surely. No, it's true. It's true. And, I mean, a lot of part, a lot of this, for me, is about um, really getting... Uh, a good idea uh, for yourself and also you know if you're doing this for an organization for your organization to understand the different components where they fit and depending on the different data sources that you're going to be looking at the different problems that you're looking to solve which of these technologies is maybe a a better fit i mean in terms of the the raw education if you like that's the that's the kind of the biggest thing that I see happening is people trying to work out which piece of technology best satisfies their particular, you know, problem space, if you like, or which selection of technologies. And with, you know, with the entire ecosystem moving so quickly, that's an ever-changing, um, you know, an ever-changing picture. So I think for me, that's that's one of the key values is is you know if you if you enjoy, um, you know, keeping up to date with a very very fast moving. Um, environment a very very fast moving technology then Hadoop's a great thing to get into because it's it's moving very very quickly yeah very good point again and that's indeed is a problem for education school systems traditionally have a problem keeping up right so especially in this uh, area you, you kind of have to think if you would make a university curriculum about this what are you going to put in there you have to this takes years for them to get it off the ground it's never going to be what you need today, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, there are certain things that, that that are going to be, you know, common throughout, and maybe that's what they're going to focus on. Some of the, um, you know, some of the core things that that will still remain relevant. But yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, if, even if you look back at, uh, you know, how something like Spark, for example, how that's evolved over the last twelve months, um, and that's just twelve months. You know, if you think about. Uh, what you might have said about it back then to what you might say about it today, the the picture is you know radically different in my mind. So 
I think, yeah, it's it, it definitely would be a struggle to do anything, um, you know, too deep into the technology that would still be relevant uh, 12, 18, 24 months later. Yeah, and if those courses only cover the very basic standard core stuff, well, that's things you can easily pick up by just doing some online searching and reading, right, and playing with the technology. Indeed. I mean, you, you've actually got some, some hands-on um, experience with, uh, fairly in-depth experience with some of the, the Spark training. I mean, how was that for you? Uh, yeah, actually, I did a, a Spark training on EDX. It was about half a year ago. And I've done more of those online things. And what's typically bad about those things is it's just watching videos. And you have a multiple choice at the end of the video, and that's about it. Now, what made this Spark course particularly good was there were actually labs attached every week. And I actually spent a whole weekend every week for about, I don't know, seven weeks, something like that, really working through those labs. And that taught me a lot more than the videos. I mean, the videos give you a nice basic. They give you the information you need to do the labs. But it's really getting your hands dirty, doing the exercise. That's what really gives you the, 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 the deep understanding of the whole subject. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think... You know, I think we're we're circling back now to the same the same sort of thing, which is actually you don't necessarily need a uh, you know you don't need a, a DIY cluster. I, I know you're building your own at home there, and I'm also thinking about it. But you know, spinning up something on a on a VM and just playing with the tools and technologies, you know, preferably with a with a goal in mind, so you're not just um, you know spinning the spinning the tools up and then just looking at them blindly, but you know actually doing something with them, having a goal, you know, whether it's ingesting data and manipulating it in some way, shape or form, and then reporting on it or whatever it might be. But actually that hands-on experience of using the tools is, is far more valuable than, you know, watching, watching a whole ton of, ton of videos or indeed even just, you know, reading a whole bunch of information. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, even if Amazon or, uh, Azure or Google Cloud or whatever you want to call it is too expensive. If you have a bit of a beefy desktop PC with a no, six or eight CPUs, not that extraordinary these days, you can spin a couple of virtual virtual box uh, virtual machines and uh, have a very nice cluster running. It's not going to be performant, of course, but just to do some testing and have some uh, some real results out of it is really possible. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. So I think we can both agree there's a lot of great information out there. Uh, both for you to read, tutorials for you to follow. Of course, the software, the tools, the technology, it's all open source, so you can go and download and play with it today. And I think, you know, that's probably the most important thing is, is get some hands-on time with it. Manipulate some data, report on it, you know, do, do what you want to do with it and, uh, you know, gain that, gain that hands-on experience. So, for the third and final section of the... Uh, the uh, Roaring Elephant podcast. Um, normally, we would take questions from the audience, uh, as this is our first one. We don't yet have any of those. So uh, instead, we've kind of come up with a list of questions that uh, that we often hear, usually early on, when people are sort of starting to think about, uh, you know, how they might adopt, uh, adopt uh, Hadoop, or how indeed they might get into uh, the world of Hadoop and big data. So, uh, Hyun, what's uh, what do you think the first question you hear is? Well, one I got very often at the start of the conversation is, isn't this thing really difficult to get into? <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of that comes from um, people's expectations or people's understanding of Hadoop. You know, going back a few years, when things were 
a lot trickier to actually you know get up and running and get installed um from my experience it's it's come a long long way since then and actually you know with a lot of the 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 tools that are in place to to make setting up and uh, and provisioning and managing um you know hadoop clusters and environments now i think it's it's a lot lot easier to get these sorts of things up and running yeah, I think nobody's going to dispute the fact that setting up every single Apache project by hand is totally difficult. But because of these vendors now having distributions out there, it's you don't really have to go there anymore unless for very specific reasons. You can just take one of those distributions, take the one that fits your, I don't know, philosophy the best, I guess, and just install that. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think the other thing to to think about with this is, you know, you, you're not going to be taking the entire distribution on at once. You're not going to be installing every single component. You know, you're going to be going through probably, I don't know, what do you think, six or seven key components to get started with, if you include some of the, you know, the underlying core components and maybe a, a sort of a management component or two. You probably start off with maybe you know, just six or seven things in order to get ingest some data, um, you know, maybe transform it in some way, shape or form and uh, maybe have some sort of uh, interface for reporting it, querying it. You know, it's still, you know, it's a relatively small subset of the overall massive number of components that otherwise people sometimes get overwhelmed by. True, but it does give you a new difficult question. What components do I need to use? Indeed, indeed. Uh, it's always the tricky one, and that's certainly why we uh, we brought it up in the previous section. It's, uh, but that's why people should uh, should work with um, work with Hadoop vendors, and and you know we tend to see lots of different environments, we tend to see lots of different use cases, um, so can often provide a, a good helping hand um, to to assist with those kind of questions. Yeah, the information is out there. Just get a reliable partner and uh, get educated, I guess. Absolutely. So, Dave, you got a question for us? Yeah, so the question that I hear a lot is, uh, so do I need to know Java? And and this one this one really hits home for me because I know when you said you, you did your intro that uh, uh, you didn't, uh, you, you came from a, a programming background, whereas I have you know, no real programming background at all. Uh, yes, I have done some, some Java programming uh, way back when, but uh, it's it's not something I really ever gained any affinity with. It's not something that I I terribly enjoy. Um, so thankfully, I've not uh, I've not really found um, a need to to know a great deal of Java. I understand the basics. I can you know maybe read a bit of code, and I can certainly uh, analyze log files with the best of them. But uh, I, I don't understand Java, and you know I'm still reasonably productive in what I do. I think. How about you? What what do you think? Uh, slightly similar. I mean, when you say I'm a, I was a programmer, I'm going to betray my age here, but I'm coming from the age of C and COBOL. So Java is definitely not part of the curriculum there. And I think it's more important to have some programming skills in general, just knowing how to write a piece of code. It doesn't have to be very complex, but just knowing a bit about how a program is structured. And the only time I really miss having more Java knowledge, I guess, more than I have, 
is when I have to look at the log files at stack traces because all of these projects are quite often written in Java. The newer ones tend to use different languages, but the original one, the core ones, HDFS, uh, Yarn, stuff like that. There's a lot of Java on the front there and that does leak through in the log files. So being able to read the Java stack trace can help. That being said, you don't need to know Java very well to be able to read the stack trace. It's more a bit of uh, experience. If you've seen enough of those log files, you know where to watch and what's important and what isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a bit of experience and, and common sense, which as a friend of mine says is uh, sadly not very common. But, uh, you know, that sort of that sort of operational knowledge of, of scanning back through log files, understanding some of the relationships there, and even basic things like some of the component names and um, you know what what's talking to what and and that sort of thing. Yeah, agreed. It uh, Java knowledge, you know, certainly won't do you any harm, but it's not necessarily mandatory for this. Well, for some things, it can actually do nothing at all. Because if you look at Spark, for instance, a very big component or being becoming a very big component of the ecosystem, I really haven't seen anybody use Java in uh, Spark. Everybody's using either Python to do it easily or Scala to make it uh, more quick seen some guys work with R in there, but Java, I haven't seen much of that in the Spark environment. True enough, true enough. Okay, similar to that question, do you need to know SQL? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's very much the the default language of, of people interacting with um, a lot of things, especially if they're going through Hive, for example, or Impala. Um, but my my sort of SQL knowledge is really not a great deal more than select star from and and count. You know, I I don't have a a massive uh, DBA background. I I can manipulate databases and I can read SQL, uh, which I think definitely helps. But again, I you know I don't think it's really um, necessary. I think if you do know SQL, you'll probably be on the uh, um, the BI side and therefore you know it'll make perfect sense to you um, and you'll be able to plug into a Hadoop environment and start to extract information very quickly but if you're more on the sort of the operations and, and back-end side of things um, then you know it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be a major issue uh, you know and then you've also got all the different tools and technologies that plug in through the uh, ODBC interface that uh, can talk SQL directly so you've got tools that now you can graphically build your queries and export your reports and all that sort of stuff yeah I usually answer the question telling people you don't need any more SQL than you need right now because whatever you know you're still going to be able to use and you don't need anything extra to make uh, Hadoop work of course when you're using a tool automatically you learn new things and your knowledge grows but that's just normal growth yeah, that's a great point. Great point. So, I mean, once you get over some of the initial things uh, about it, the, as people start to get more and more interested, the the next question that I often hear is, so, you know, do I need to throw everything else in my data center out? You know, will Hadoop replace all? Um, it's definitely the next thing that comes up. You know, what's, what's your typical uh, response to that? Well... You're right. A lot of people see a new thing and it's supposed to do everything, right? Well, of course it doesn't. Nothing does everything. It's basically really looking at what you want to do, where your problems are today, and see what Hadoop can fix. And if Hadoop can fix something by replacing something, then it might not be a bad idea. 
but traditionally I usually see Hadoop complementing things, uh, offloading stuff to Hadoop to make the expensive existing databases to what they were purchased for in the first place. That's a very much more occurring thing than just replacing things altogether. Also, we've seen in the last decade these big IT uh, projects just take what we have, throw it out and do something completely different. That never really works out anyway. So the, the fact that Hadoop really lends itself very easily to a incremental complementary way of working, that really helps people have confidence in what they're doing and actually makes projects work. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I think definitely the word that you used a couple of times there, complementary. I think that's the that's the key for me. It, it Hadoop is definitely a complementary technology. It's it, it very rarely is it going to sort of out and out replace anything, but it allows you to you know maybe you know delay an expansion of 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 or uh, yeah expansion of one of your existing environments. Maybe offload the data as you were talking about. Um, maybe allows you to analyze data that you, you previously couldn't before just because the, the cost of keeping it was, uh, was was too expensive on previous platforms. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, being able to keep more granular data for longer. I mean, it just wasn't possible to do that on other platforms and be able to process it in any sensible time frame. So, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really replace any of those existing systems or tools. Um, it just sort of Generally speaking, I'm finding you know plugs into those environments, um, you know, generally quite nice, quite neatly. Yeah. So a follow-up question, more specifically, perhaps uh, people asking me, can it replace my EDW? Yeah. So I I tend to see people are in kind of two camps with this. Um, you tend to get one camp of people who are. You know, maybe actually looking to replace their EDW. You know, they're they're not happy with it, or they're particularly, um, you know, upset with their EDW vendor, or they just, you know, they they see Hadoop as being the the one shining answer that can replace everything. And you know, for those organisations, the answer is probably maybe. <laughs> um, it it really depends on what they're doing with the EDW, um, and you know, what types of reporting they're doing. Um, what types of uh, what sort of type of performance they're expecting? How many users they have? Um, you know, querying the data. Uh, you know, lots and lots of different things. But uh, I think the core of it is that Hadoop was never really designed to be um, a, a complete replacement as an operational data source, um, as as we know it typically within the enterprise. Um, so you know, for some organisations, depending on um, you know how they're how they're using the platform today. It may well be possible for them to replace their EDW, but for many organisations, in my experience, they've they've had their EDWs in place for a very long time. They've invested you know many millions of uh, of pounds, dollars, euros uh, into it, and uh, you know they they have it very tightly coupled into the core of their business and. Yeah, honestly, you'd be you'd be pretty crazy to just try and yank that out. Um, so you know, I think it it really does go back to the um, the question that we were talking about previously. I I tend to see it more of a as a complementary technology. Maybe it allows them to delay you know upgrades of their EDW because they can offload capacity. But I don't generally tend to see too many organisations uh, doing a uh, 
uh, sort of lock, stock and barrel replacement of, uh, of their EDWs. You know, there are a couple of organizations that have done it, um, but they are sort of the exception uh, rather than the rule, in, in my opinion. Well, I think you answered that very brilliantly. Nothing to add from my part. <laughs> so um, another question um, that kind of flows on from that, that, uh, that I get asked is, um, you know, do I have to rewrite all of my ETL? Um, and again, it's one of those sort of, they've spent a lot of time building that, you know, what's, what do you, do you hear that? And, and if you do sort of, uh, what do you tend to tend to respond with that? Uh, yeah, I do hear that. And it's a good question. I mean, as you said, people spend time and money, it's basically the same thing in their existing infrastructures, having to redo everything. But it again comes back to that complementary thing, right? You shouldn't rewrite everything. Will you rewrite some things? Probably. When you identify things that can be done better in the Hadoop cluster, you will start moving those workloads out and you will have to build some tooling around that. Of course, you're still doing kind of the same thing but on a different platform. So reuse of code, assuming that the code was written correctly and is usable and is nicely structured should definitely be possible on the other hand we all know how devops sometimes have to do some time some things under time pressure and it's not all that beautiful code so sometimes rewriting isn't all that a bad thing <laughs> very true very true but uh, yeah i people will have to rewrite stuff but that's you should see it as a kind of a maintenance window where things you've written a year ago, have gone through a maturization, uh, how do you say that, uh, got mature, and you have seen things that might be written differently or better, and just take the opportunity when you're moving from the platform to rewrite those little pieces of code in a more structured, a more productive, more performant way. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. I think the only thing I would possibly add is, um, you know, it, Depending on what you've what you've written your ETL in, if you know if if you've used uh, uh, a vendor like I don't know Informatica or Data Stage or you know, Talent or whoever, you know they often have uh, platforms that can also uh, integrate with Hadoop. So you know you might need to uh, change the 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 license type or the the, the technology that you're using slightly, but you can reuse a lot of those skills and actually. Um, many of these things will then push down um, the operations directly onto the Hadoop cluster. So, you know, that you've got that balance of, of you know, you can reuse your existing ETL um, or you can rewrite, you know, depending on what's uh, what's more interesting to you. Yeah, it's a great point. If you're using tools at the moment to interact with your data today, you can probably still use them tomorrow in the same exact fashion, only telling the tool that at the moment the data is no longer in database XYZ, but it's in a Hadoop data lake somewhere. Exactly. Well, that's about all the time you have for today. We hope you have enjoyed this very first Roaring Elephant podcast. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a new episode where we'll be having a discussion on how to avoid disaster deploying Hadoop in your environment. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information. Also, we're convinced you have much more interesting questions, so please go to www.roaringelephant.org and submit your questions about Hadoop and Big Data. We will be happy to discuss them in upcoming episodes. My name is Jan. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you again in two weeks' time. Thanks a lot.